We are the beloved of God. The Father loves us. The Son saved us. The Spirit of God sealed us. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. Today we're talking about being transformed. Okay, let's jump right in. Once again, John is pressing in the claims of Christ, the one who has met him on his terms of repentance and faith will experience transformation. Now, as Dana said, it is a process, and frankly, it is a slow and painful process, amen? There's not a lot you and I can do to rush it up. But we can help participate in this process as we study God's Word and as we yield to God's Spirit, as we come to Him with a surrendered will desiring to walk in His ways. Beloved, in Ezekiel 36, 26, the Scripture says this, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. At the moment of conversion, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us and he removes our stony heart and gives us a heart that is made tender for the things of the Lord. So it would follow that a changed heart will produce a transformed life. In our notebook this week, Abby Dane is the one that wrote the study, and I thought it was really outstanding. But this is a quote from our book. She says, 1 John forces us to take a hard look at our fruit, the overflow in our lives of what is happening in our hearts. This chapter serves as a sort of salvation assessment. John's desire is not to cast doubt, but he does call us to examine our lives to see for ourselves if we are in the faith or if we have aligned with a false version of the gospel. Beloved, as we study today, I pray that God will reveal to you if indeed you have never been truly saved, meeting him on his terms of repentance and faith, or that he would give you the assurance of your salvation today, beloved, that you have met him on those terms. Beloved, without the assurance of your salvation, you are never going to make forward progress in your walk with the Lord. So do you know Jesus? Is your life giving evidence as you are being transformed into his image? Beloved, do you know him? And if you know him, are you living a life that reveals Christ in you. Well, the first thing I want to share with you is what I call preparing for the second coming of Christ. Look with me in 1 John chapter 3. The scripture says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is one of my favorite passages in all of 1 John 
John, as Dana said, had been given the nickname Son of Thunder. I love that about him because we see as we read through his gospel and as we read through his epistles and into Revelation, we see a life that has been tendered and transformed by the spirit of the living God. But he was a man of great enthusiasm. And I can only imagine as he is pinning this, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that there was something welling up within him and he's almost yelling at us. Don't you get it? Don't you see? Don't you understand? The Father has bestowed his love on us and get this, he calls us children of God. Oh, I think John was just about beside himself as he took pen to paper to write that out. For this reason, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. And then he goes on to say, beloved, now we are children of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just ponder that for a moment. He has made us children of the living God. That's how you and I are. And he says, it hasn't appeared as yet. What we will be, but we know this, that when he appears, we are going to be made like him. Oh, hallelujah for that moment. We ought to be so excited looking forward to that great moment when we will see the Lord Jesus face to face and be made like him. And he says, everyone who has this hope begins to live a life of purity. Beloved, you and I have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we are eagerly anticipating his sure return. And when we see him, we will be made like him. John MacArthur says this, God loves believers with a love that is impossible to articulate in any human language and is utterly foreign to normal human understanding and experience. This is agape love, God's volitional love that he, of his own free will and uninfluenced choice, has bestowed on all whom he has called to savingly believe in Jesus Christ. God has given us his agape love. That is, he loved us, not because of who we were or what we had done. He set his affection upon us, and he calls us his daughters, his children. And beloved, that status has set us at odds with the world. Early in my Christian experience, I came across Ephesians chapter 1. And if you don't mind just turning to it, I just want to make sure you're familiar with this passage. It is one of my favorite passages. I think I tend to say that about any scripture that I read. But this is really my favorite. In Ephesians chapter 1... The Apostle Paul is writing, and he gets so excited writing about who we are in Christ that Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, is one long run-on sentence. I have written a number of books before I started on the writing team, and I was always in trouble with my editor. She always said, you write with run-on sentences. I said, I talk with run-on <laughs> sentences. 
And she would tell me that I needed to shorten my sentences. And I found it so hard to do, but she was saying, this is the better way to write short sentences. And um, I remember when I wrote a study on the book of Ephesians and coming on this one long sentence that Paul had written, thinking, he is my people. Here he here are my people. We talk and run on sentences. And I won't take the time to read all of this, but as a young believer, you remember that I was about 24 when I got saved. And as a young believer, I suffered from a very low self-esteem and largely in part because of the lifestyle I had had before I became a Christian. And I had the feeling, I had the idea that everybody in my church knew everything about the Word of God, and they were walking in victory, everybody but me. And everybody had been saved, but they had not had a wicked past, and I did. And so this caused me to be kind of stuck in my faith. I knew I was saved. I knew I had met God on His terms. I knew that He had called me out of darkness and placed me into the kingdom of light. But I could not seem to get going in my spiritual life because I was being held back by my past. And then one day, oh glorious day, I found the book of Ephesians and I read chapter 1. And in chapter 1, it tells us, uh, if you look with me in verse number 6, and uh, let me read this to you out of New King James. It says in New King James, Ephesians 1, 6, He has made us accepted in the Beloved. He has made us accepted in the Beloved. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. He had not only made me acceptable, He had done that, but He had accepted me just as I was. With all of my brokenness, with all of my messiness, with all of the things, the bad things that I had done and were still living in my memory bank. And I can still remember how when I read that black print on white paper that I was accepted in the beloved and when I acted by faith to receive that couldn't fully understand it, just believed it was true. It was the best news I had heard since I found out that Jesus had saved me from sin, had died to save me and wanted to redeem me. Beloved, this was good news. This was good news. I was accepted in the beloved. And I'm telling you, that truth so captured me that my erroneous thinking just fell away. And I began to see myself as a child of God, as a daughter of the king, as one who was accepted in the beloved. Now, again, because of time, I'm not going to read anymore, but I'm just going to tell you, if you want to have a blessing, when you get home, read Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, and mark in your Bible, if you're willing to, all of the things it says about you. For instance... The writer, Paul, says that we were accepted in the beloved and adopted as sons. Not only that, we were blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Not only that, we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Can't explain any of this to you. Just believe it by faith that it is true. Not only were we uh, chosen, we have been delivered and forgiven redeemed and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That is who we are in Christ Jesus. 
And because of that truth, I'm telling you, it was earth-shaking truth to me. That was the beginning, beloved, of me getting so hungry for the word, I could not get enough of it. My little boys were in school at that time, and I began to start studying when they left to go to school, and I would still be studying when they came home. Couldn't get enough of the word. God loved me. He loved me. He loved me enough to send his son, Jesus. And Jesus loved me enough to die on the cross because I was a sinner in need of a savior. And he paid my sin debt. And he declared me accepted in the beloved. He said, she is mine. And this is what, if you'll flip back to 1 John, this is what John is telling us. Oh, do you see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us? He has made us to be children of God. Beloved, that is good news. That's good news. You and I no longer are children of the enemy. We have been made children of God. Well, I need to move on quickly, but the holy expectation of the return of Christ should be the uh, transformative driving force behind our relentless and aggressive pursuit of practical righteousness and personal holiness. Because we belong to him, because we know he is returning to gather up his church, because we know that one day we will see him and be made like him, that should cause all of us to live holy and separated lives. He says, come out from among them and be separate. Live like a believer. Live like there is a time when we will see him face to face and give account for our service to him. Oh, beloved Because we belong to him, our lives should be in the process of being transformed. A few years back now, I began to go uh, to some exercise classes at a church that was closer to me than my own church, Bellevue. Craig and I have been members here for almost 50 years. And uh, this church, you know, I live way out there in the country, was closer. And so I signed up to go to some classes there. And I just want you to know my friend Ray Ray went with me to all of them until I told her there is a class They call it Christian yoga and stretching. And she said, I don't think so. I said, that is the first time you've refused to do something that I've come up with. She said, I'm not going. I said, well, I'm going by myself. So I go to this class, never done anything like this before. And yes, it's as funny as you're thinking right now. And so I arrive at the class. And the instructor arrives, and no one else shows up. It's just me and the instructor. So I am, yeah, yeah, y'all are my people. You are really my people. You're just stepping right in this story with me. And so I told this little instructor, how about let's not have class since no one else is here. And in my mind, I'm thinking I'm headed to get me a muffin or a donut and a cup of coffee and sit somewhere quietly for an hour. That will be even better for me than the exercise that I was anticipating doing. And she said, oh, no way, you've driven in here, we're going to have class. And I said, let's not, please, let's not. And she said, oh, no, we're going to have class. And I said, okay, but I've never done anything like this, and so you're going to have to uh, help me along. She said, that will be fine. So she got in the front of the room, and I scooted out here into the middle, and this whole wall, thank you very much, was mirrors. (laughs) 
who came up with that idea? Doesn't seem like a good plan to me. Anyways, we got started, and she said, uh, Jean, you're not doing this right. And I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I was doing the best I can. But anyways, she said, that's not right. That's not the right pose. And I said, okay. And she said, look at me, look at me. And uh, she said, I want you to do it just like I'm doing it. And I was thinking to myself, I am doing it just like you're doing it. <laughs> and she said, look at me, look at me. You're not doing this right. You need to do it exactly like I'm doing. Look at me. And so I said, I, I, I think I am doing it right. And she said, look in the mirror. To which I said, I don't want to. <laughs> she said, I want you to look in the mirror so you can see what you're doing wrong. I said, I don't want to. And she said, I need you to look in the mirror. And I said, look, if I liked the way I looked in the mirror, I would not be coming to this class. <laughs> but what she was saying is look in the mirror, see what you're doing wrong, and fix it. Beloved, that is the process of transformation. When you and I look into the mirror of God's word, we see what his standard is, and then we see the areas in our own life that we need to correct. James says that we are to uh, um, be a hearer, not to be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. That we are to look into the mirror, and uh, he said the, the one who's just a hearer of the word looks into the mirror, walks away, and forgets what he saw. But he said we are to look intently into the perfect law of liberty and abide in it. Beloved, the key, as Donna told us last week, to living the Christian life, the abundant Christian life, to be in this process of being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, the key to it is abiding in Christ. Because apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. So we need to learn how we are to abide in Christ. So... We need to look into the mirror of God's Word, and we need to uh, look intently to study it out. And then we need, beloved, to uh, uh, take the truth that God shows us and shares with us. We be, need to begin to put that into our lives. Okay, so we need to be preparing for the second coming of Christ. The second thing is we need to be practicing the presence of Christ. Look with me in verse 4. Uh, four. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, love that phrase. Make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin. Because he is born of God, verse 10. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. 
anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. We'll stop right there. Strong language. But what John is telling us is those who practice a lifestyle of ungodliness and unrighteousness belong to Satan. But those of us who know the Lord Jesus, though we will occasionally sin, we do not continue to live in the pattern that we did prior to our conversion. That is, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And no longer do we continue to go on sinning because Christ abides in us. And as we abide in him, beloved, our lives are transformed. That is why we must read and study the Word of God. That is why we must know what this book says. That is why, beloved, you and I are called to live in personal holiness and practical righteousness. And that comes through the study, the personal study of the Word of God. I hope you're involved in a church. Craig and I have been since uh, we were saved 50 years ago. And I hope you're involved in a Bible preaching church. But I've just got to tell you, it is not enough to hear a great sermon once a week. That's not enough. That is part of the process to hear the message of the Word of God, to get together with uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ, to spend time in worship and praise, to pray together and to hear a great sermon. That is part of our Christian experience. And we're called not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But beloved, beyond that, you and I must study the Word of God to know what it says. You know that we have a set of twins. Our little twins are 11 years old now. I know you can't believe that. Many of you remember when they were first born. And frankly, it took all of us uh, to raise those children those first couple of years. And so... Craig and I got to keep the little twinners a lot, and we just adored them. They had Grayson, who was four years older than the twins, and then four years later, Walker came along. But when the twins were about three years old, we were babysitting at their house, Grayson, and the twins, and I started playing a game with the twins. And I would whisper something and see if they could uh, guess what I had said. So they had to be very quiet and listen very carefully. Now, this is a twist on the quiet game. Anybody understand what I'm saying? And so they would get real quiet and they would listen and I would whisper and we've been playing this for a few minutes and so I told them a little story uh, and I'm whispering real soft and they're leaning in trying to catch my words and I told them that when I was five years old my parents gave me a red tricycle. And the very first week that I had that tricycle, I left it down at the end of my driveway. And my dad told me to go get that tricycle and put it up in the carport or someone might steal it. And I didn't obey. And sure enough, somebody stole my red tricycle that I had gotten on my birthday. And so they're trying to guess my words and so forth. And just all of a sudden, as they're starting to piece together the story I had told, uh, Keller, who has uh, the most tender heart, it's just so precious to see that uh, from uh, the time he was very little and to see it in a little boy, has this very tender heart. And so uh, as they're piecing together the story, the realization came to him that I had been given this tricycle and I had lost it. And just as soon as I had gotten it, that someone had stolen it. And so he folded his little chubby arms at me and he said, JJ, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I said, baby, this was a long time ago. I was only five years old. And so this was a long time ago. And he said, well, I don't like that. 
I don't like that at all. And I said, well, thank you for being so concerned, but it was a long time ago. And the point of my story was I didn't obey my dad, and you need to obey your parents. The Bible says children obey your parents. That was my, that was my takeaway. And he said, well, I think we need to call someone. And <laughs> I said, darling, there's no one to call. This happened a long time ago. He said, I think we should call the police. I said, sweetheart, the purpose of my story was for you to obey your parents. Like the Bible says. And yet he was so distraught over my lost tricycle. And he just continued on the whole time we were with him that every so often the conversation would come right back around to the tricycle. I was just grieved that someone had stolen my tricycle. And why couldn't we do something about it? He thought the police would come and they would help me find the tricycle. And this just went on and on and on. And when I got him ready for bed, I was uh, telling him again. Now the story, the, the theme of this story was obey your parents. I didn't obey my dad and I lost my tricycle and he was still so upset well we prayed together and uh, prayed that God would give him a good night's sleep I could tell he went to sleep with this very worried expression on his face and uh, the next morning got up he was still talking about my tricycle so it was several weeks before I remembered just to mention it to Dawson and I was saying to Dawson my son his daddy I said Dawson that that Keller he has got the most tender heart I just love that about him and um, uh, I was telling him about the game I played and he said mom He's still talking about your tricycle. <laughs> and I said, you're kidding. He said, no, he's really upset about it. And I said, oh, great, I've scarred my grandchild. That's what every grandparent wants to hear. But the truth of the matter is that he was missing the Bible knowledge I was trying to give him as he was getting all wound up in this part of the story but not understanding that what I was trying to teach him is the Bible says children obey your parents beloved we must study the word of God we must not rely on getting it from someone else we must become able to be a, a Bible student who can rightly divide the word of God so we need to practice the presence of Christ. We need to practice walking by the Spirit. And it takes practice to learn how to do it. And what John is saying is that unbelievers are practicing their lifestyle is one of ungodliness. But the believers, the ones who know the Lord Jesus Christ, the practice of their life, the overarching theme of their life should be obedience and walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it takes Practice, beloved. I've walked with God for many years. And I'm just going to have to tell you, I'm a serious st student of the Word of God. Ever since I had that experience with the Lord when I... Uh, found out that I was accepted in the beloved. I'm telling you, that has fueled me to study out the Word of God. But I will tell you this, the more I learn, the less I know. Anybody get it? I'm telling you, you can never exhaust this book. Never. And the more you study it, the more you see these truths. And, and they seem so fresh and new. And, and God sometimes just lifts a verse off the page. And you are just so staggered and stunned. But he is speaking to you through the word of God. Therefore, the practice of our life 
is to practice, is to be practicing the presence of Christ. The last thing I want to share with you, excuse me, is um, the uh, possessing the power of Christ. Possessing the power of Christ. Look with me, if you will, in uh, verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, do not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and we will assure our hearts before him. In whatever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The word abide is used six times in this passage. John continually talks to us about the need to abide in Christ. If you and I are going to have our lives transformed, then we must abide in Christ so that he can empower us and enable us through the Spirit of God that indwells us and we can live according to the revelation in the Word of God. So we need both the Word of God and a desire to respond to the gentle promptings of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God. Christians make themselves known as children of God by doing what is right and by loving their brothers and sisters in the Lord. We possess the power of Christ. He does not ask us to do this in our own strength, but he has given us the Spirit of God so that we are able, beloved, as we walk in this power of transformation, so that we are able to do the right thing, to obey the commandments, and to love the brethren, that is, the brothers and sisters in faith, even those that are sometimes difficult uh, to love. We are able to pursue the things of the Lord. Cain got so angry with his brother Abel because God received Abel's sacrifice, his blood sacrifice, and God rejected his. And so he rose up and killed his brother. He is an example of one who's been exposed to the truth, 
but is not acting upon it. Now, both of those boys were raised in the same household. After uh, Adam and Eve were uh, sent out of the garden, they had children. Cain was the first and then Abel. And they were raised in the same household. And don't you know that Adam and Eve would have taught them about the blood sacrifice that God had provided coverings for their sin by killing an innocent animal on behalf of the guilty. They would have taught them about that. Adam would have trained his boys in how to properly do a blood sacrifice to the Lord. And by the way, this was long before the Levitical law was given. But Adam would have trained his boys. And yet when it was time for sacrifice, Abel brought of the uh, first uh, firstlings of his flock and Cain brought vegetables that he had raised himself. And so Cain is bringing the work of his hands and God rejects his bloodless sacrifice and he receives Abel's sacrifice of blood. Abel understood without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And it made Cain so angry that he killed his brother. It is amazing that children raised in the same household can turn out so differently, isn't it? And yet one son followed God and one son did not. And so what John is telling us is that if we belong to the Father, our lives will give evidence to it. That we will be in this process of transformation, slowly being changed more and more into the likeness of Christ. And one day, one glorious day, when we see the Lord, we will be like him. We don't know what our glorified bodies will look like. But there will be no more aches and pains, no more suffering and sorrow. There will be no more separation. We will be forever home with the Lord and with all of those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are to understand that we possess the power of Christ through the indwelling spirit of the living God. Beloved, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts and God has enabled us to love others, to serve others, to quit being so self-centered and so self-righteous and to serve other people, those in need. And he closes out this chapter by saying, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given the scripture says in Romans, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what the will of God is, that it is good and perfect and acceptable. Oh, that we would learn, beloved, to walk in this transformation, allowing God to groom us more and more into the image of Christ. Uh, a long time ago, I was put on blood pressure medicine. I have a family history of it, and we tried other things that did not work. Eventually, I was able to lower the dose. Now, at this particular evening, I have no idea what got into me, but when I went in there to take my blood pressure medicine, I shook out two pills instead of one and popped them in my mouth. I doubled my dose. So I went in there and told Craig, I have just taken uh, double the dose I'm supposed to on my blood pressure medicine, and he said, baby, do I need to call an ambulance? Are we headed to the hospital? What do I need to do? And I said, nothing. I've taken this higher dose before, and it's not going to be a problem, but it's going to make me really sleepy. So I'm fixing to go ahead and get in bed because I'm going to be asleep in a few minutes, and I will sleep through until in the morning. And uh, 
he said, you're sure there's not going to be an issue? And I said, I'm absolutely confident. And he said, I leave out the bottle just in case we have to make a quick trip to the hospital. And I said, honey, that's not going to happen. But I said, um, I tell you what, I'll leave the bottle. And I said, uh, and babe, if the worst thing happens, I'll be home with the Lord. And I said, is there anything you want me to tell him when I get there? And he laughed. He said, tell him I said, hey. And so I went to sleep with that on my mind. Now, in our bedroom, we had this big armoire. And when you opened it, there was a TV. And in this time, we had a VCR. So you know this has been a while ago. Some of you young girls don't even know what that is, but ask your mother. And so there was the VCR. So I curl up in bed. I go sound asleep. I mean, I'm just out of it. And sometime around 2 in the morning, I woke up. The house was dark except for this one white light. And I thought to myself, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. <clears throat> Let me draw this to a close. Beloved, the Lord loves you so much. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. But now as a believer... He calls you his child. He calls you his daughter. He calls you beloved. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Oh, that we might let that truth so saturate our heart and our mind that it begins to affect our lives so that as we walk with the Lord, we allow him to transform us from glory to glory until we see Jesus, beloved. Until we see Jesus, may we be found faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Oh, it's so rich. It's so rich, Father. Thank you for it. Thank you for John writing this epistle to remind us that we are your children, that we are beloved of the Father, saved by the Son, indwelled by the Spirit. And Father, may we be faithful to allow you to do your work in and through us, transforming us into the image of our precious King Jesus. We love you so much, Lord. And Father, sometimes we don't act like it and sometimes we don't look like it, but help us to know who we are in you and who you are in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.